Welcome back, everyone. This is Alyssa, and we have arrived at our final installment of the Solution 44 series. Today, we are talking management. It is only fitting that we close out the series with the Solution 44 creator, Brian Whitley. Brian, thank you for this journey. We're so glad to have you here for the final episode. Thank you. It's been great to talk with you about these things uh, and challenging, so I enjoyed it. So we're getting down to what is arguably the most practical. I'm going to say that again. So we are getting down to what is arguably the most practical piece of Solution 44, which is management. It's what you call management on the fly. If I had to guess, this is what most people want to know. How do I manage well, especially in crunch time? As a behavioral science person, psychology, all that kind of stuff, I know that brains and pain cannot function at their highest capacity. So for managers, that pain can look like stress, overwhelm, internal problems, staffing, logistical errors, the list goes on. But when we hit that moment of needing to make decisions and our defenses are down because of whatever is paining us, what can we do? That's a good question. And the reality of the situation is it is truly inevitable. No matter what, you're going to have to find a place and sometimes you're going to have to manage on the fly. So the best thing you can do as once again, I like to go back to the Bible, uh, you know, and, and honestly, at this point in the game, I may have come across to some people as being a religious person. If they listen to what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. you know, um, I just would like to describe myself as a belief person. Mm -hmm. I find things that I've read or heard and I believe in and they just stick with me. Mm -hmm. And I see the support of that particular belief all around me. Mm -hmm. So in this one, you know, the Bible this is talking about marriages, right? And it tells you that a threefold core cannot quickly be torn in two. You know, that means that, you know, when you got that type of situation going on, there's more support than if there was a two card or if it was a single strand. So in your work, when you're developing your defense to make sure that your facility, your responsibilities are being uh, managed correctly, you need three lines of defense. That first line of defense, that's going to be an engineering control, right? That's like, uh, uh, say, I don't want you to fall off this ladder, so... I have a barrel cage around until you really can't. Mm -hmm. You can't fall off this ladder. You know, I don't want you to walk over this deck or go down these flight of stairs um, without a handrail because I want you to have an extra way to be able to support yourself. Mm -hmm. That way you got, you know, what we like to actually call a three-point stand. Ironic that it's three-point stand. <laughs> but um, you have it's much easier to maintain your balance, right? Um, I don't want this treadmill to kill you, so I have a on and off auto switch. So if you just wrap it around your wrist, if anything happens, it won't keep running. It'll stop when you stop. Right. Same type of thing on a on a jet ski. You know, that so that's that's basically an example of a engineering control and that's the things that we do that can just eliminate something from happening that we don't want. Right. So let's talk about what a second line of defense would look like. So I know of an organization that has a hit by a bus policy. So it's basically a requirement for managers 
um, at a certain level to have such a well-organized apartment that if they were to be theoretically hit by a bus, however morbid that sounds, (laughs) but their team would still know what to do. You know, the bottom wouldn't fall out if they didn't show up. So they have all of these steps outlined. They have written procedures. They have schedules. They have the numbers to call for whomever. Um, They have the deadlines listed. The organization even goes so far as to require their managers to practice it. So a senior partner will call them and say, don't show up today. And it's their team's responsibility to follow the hit by bus protocol. So what are your thoughts on this? And do you feel like this qualifies as a second line of defense? It is uh, absolutely our second line of defense. It's uh, what Solution 44 preaches. And this is basically a standard operating type procedure. It is the guidance. It is the 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 package that you can put in front of someone that when all else fails or if you've never been there before, you have some type of guide of where you're supposed to go and things that you're supposed to do. I mean, how could you ever expect someone to uh, see your visions or realize your goals or meet your planning that's been created without actually having some type of common language that would tie everything together. This this is that second line of defense, what you can read to help you. Right. So in all reality, we cannot predict everything. I know we like to always put these, you know, buffers in place and, you know, things to make sure we prevent things from happening, but they, they happen nevertheless. So while we can plan and coach and execute as effectively as possible, eventually something happens. And so with that in mind, what would you consider to be a last line of defense when, you know, we've prevented, we have mitigated, and then here it is, we're faced with it. What what do you suggest? Yeah, well, when you've engineered a control to not happen, you put a procedure in place that asks for it not to be happened. The last thing that you can affect, the only thing left to affect there is behavior. And affecting their behavior means that you have to help them understand and think, right? Mm -hmm. So in one of the episodes, I told you to remember, think, feel, and experience. So based on what the people are experiencing, we'll control how they feel. And if you control how a person feels, then, you know, they that determines what they think, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm not saying this that this is supposed to be about control. But what I'm saying is that you do want your people to be safe. You do want them to work smart. You do want this partnership. You want all these things. So then the behavior is what you need to be focused on as your last line of defense. That's the decisions that you make. And that's one of the reasons why I love Solution 44. In reality, it all ties together. Like, if you look at the uh, culture versus a fractionation, can we really do one without the other? Like, if you cultivate a good product, it would be nice to be, think that we can always have a good culture. But the very reason why a culture is good is because you fractionate it. Right. Because you take out the parts that's not good, you you fix it, right? Mm-hmm. What about, you know, the ground truth versus the round table? If you ever think that the ground truth is possible without developing a round table, that's that's ludicrous in itself also. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that make up the round table should be people that are more willing to provide for you the ground truth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, those and how can you have a round table without using the fractionation method? All these things tie to each other, and as you are measuring and monitoring and working and doing the things that you do, you are paying attention to this. It develops the mindset, so the behavior is becoming of your leader, and the organization itself will just flourish. Right. So managing people, especially at a high level, is difficult. I mean, it's kind of the reason why you have so many of these different um, structures in place to help you do that. Um, But there are also so many factors that can cloud your vision. And you mentioned this idea of noise reduction in this piece of Solution 44. So can you talk to me about noise reduction, what it looks like, and why you think it's so critical for managers? Yeah, so... (laughs) this will be another thing that tells you how old I am. Um, But you say certain things and people will think certain things, you know, like uh, back in my day, it used to be have a Coke and anyone will be able to finish and a smile, you know, or like a good neighbor. They will remember. State Farm is there. Yes, yes. And thanks to Peyton Manning, he's like, does this little humming thing. And mm-hmm. it's like nationwide, you know, it's on your side. It just goes on. Right. Well, back in my day, there was a commercial that I can never forget. And it's a Calgon commercial. You know, a lot of people don't even know what that is now. But Calgon was basically a water softening type product. And if I said Calgon, anyone would say, take me away, you know. And what it was was the kids, the homework, the job deadline, the husband's dinner, the flat tire, the uh, daughter's boy trouble. All these things are happening and she's just running around in a circle. It's just all going crazy. And she says, Calgon, take me away. And what and comes in is her in this really nice bubbly bath with this uh, bath salts and uh, water softener to just bring you to your true point of, uh, you know, euphoria. Uh, and that's what Calgon triggered. But the truth of the matter is that it's really you. So what that means is that when she said, Calgon, take me away, that's her place that she went to to get to her utopia, to her place where everything just feels okay, Right. So how does a person actually tap into that noise reduction ability and operate with that clarity of purpose? Um, I have another riddle for you. (laughs) Yay, my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So what do recovering alcoholics, drug abusers, uh, those people with anger management issues, even people who are still suffering from phobias, what do they all have in common? Um, my psychology brain wants to say childhood trauma, but I feel like that's not what you're looking for. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's not what I'm looking for. The reality of the situation is if they're recovering, then they've had some type of recognition and acceptance. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like, you know, the serenity yes. mentality. Yes. You can't. You can't start to fix it if you don't even recognize it as a problem. You definitely can't fix it if you're not accepting it as a problem. I once had a manager who, uh, as I was going to his client and I was talking to her, she basically 
had some things that she was not happy with. And this wasn't me even discerning what she didn't say. This is what she said, you know. And upon talking to the manager, he his words were, that's not true. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She does like me. Oh, wow. And I'm like, um, that's so, that's, I don't even, you know, there's so many places where we can start here, yeah. right? But what we are missing in this situation is acceptance. That's the number one thing, right? So as a manager or a supervisor or whoever you are, understanding, recognizing what your faults are, and then accepting them as your faults will be the start of you being able to noise reduce. Mm-hmm. For example, I hate to use myself, but I know myself really well. I know that I am not good with follow through. I know that, um, you know, I have great ideas, but getting it all down to a practical application will not happen by myself alone. You know, so I worked really hard at surrounding myself with a team that was the complement of me. And each one of those pieces of the team that I have the privilege of working with every day are truly better than me at the one thing that I see in myself that is good and absolutely superb in the things that I know are not good. So collectively as a team or as a unit, we're really the full package and we can make amazing things. We have made amazing things happen, but that wouldn't be possible if we wasn't able to recognize what we were good at and accept it, accept the things that we weren't good at, and then build things around it. So when you see first like what you are as a person, then it's so much easier to recreate the pieces that you're missing. Mm -hmm. But you got to be honest with yourself first. I mean, the worst thing that you can do is be a blind manager. Mm -hmm. I mean, a blind manager is the type of person who will be ignorant to what he is or isn't. And everyone else sees it's a flaw but him Mm -hmm. or her. You know, that's not where you want to be. And I think oftentimes what's in front of that is an ego or an inability to hear, you know, difficult feedback or to kind of be able to pivot from whatever direction you are going that you know is not working. Um, But I want to kind of segue that to another piece that you talk about um, with managing There is some level of needing to be strategic in how you're proceeding with any sort of decisions or any sort of um, employee issues or whatever the case may be, but you are of the opinion that you cannot train anyone to be a strategic thinker. Why do you believe that? Well, there's a couple of uh, things that come to mind right now, but my first and most direct answer is truly the summation of my experiences. When I look at everything that I've been through and all the different types of people I've met and people I've worked through, the summation of of my experiences really kind of boils down to it's better for me to realize uh, which ones have this potential than to try to take anyone and make that potential. As a manager, you realize that your best employees truly, really require the least of your time. And if you think about it, And if you have any experiences with employees that you've gained and lost and that have been promoted and you've had to fire, your worst employees will try to encompass all your time 
and never give you the reward that you're seeking. You never get that return. I think of time as an investment. And when you invest time in an employee, there should be some type of return Mm -hmm. on that investment in the form of a reward of a productive employee to some higher level than what you got them from the beginning. A good example of that is like the coach versus the player. It's perfect because the coach comes in, he talks to the player, he gives the player drills, he works with the player on execution of the drills, and then for the rest of that week, what does that player do? Practice those drills over and over and over again. Then he gets analyzed again, evaluated, and given something else, and he does and he executes that. And so the coach doesn't spend every waking moment with the player. Mm -hmm. The player has to go out and execute the stuff. And even in the game, the coach gives 30 seconds of instruction at a timeout. You know, maybe in some other sports it's a little bit longer. But it's a, it is a fraction of the moment of the game. Mm-hmm. And then the people have to execute. So when you're an employer, realize which people you can give little to and get so much from. And realize which people that you can't. That's why, that's why we look at those stats. That's why frac- the fractionation method was built in the first place, to identify those people who are at the top. you got to recognize them and use them because the more of them you get in the company, the bigger your company will be, the better your company will be, and more importantly, the better and happier your life doing that job will be. Mm-hmm. I want to get a little bit off track, but I think that it's really insightful Um When you are in this management role, oftentimes you are getting really difficult feedback and feedback that looks like criticism or just wanting to vent or um, just needing to air out grievances. Um, And this is something that I have watched you handle over the years with a tremendous amount of grace that I have not seen in many other people, but you have this ability to take a massive amount of feedback Oftentimes, some I would say 90% of it is just criticizing, um, and you can gleam from that any percentage, even if it's just 10%, and use that to make you better and to make your organization better. But I think, especially for this piece, understanding that a lot of times ego or insecurity can get in between being a really reflective manager. Do you have any tips or tricks that you have come across in your career that helps you take in that amount of feedback and not be you know, paralyzed by it and also to not take it so personally and hold it so close to your heart and let it be something that helps grow you instead of something that helps or instead of something that offends you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I will say that it does sting when you and if you're a manager and you're listening to this or you're a supervisor and you're listening to this, I am telling you, it does sting When someone starts to say something about you, no matter how correct or incorrect it is, the fact that it is negative, it does hurt. But that hurt for me is an alarm. It's an alarm that something has happened in this situation that's contrary to what I wanted to believe. And the only way, the only way for me to be able to rectify that situation is not correcting them, telling them that they're wrong or trying to overtalk them or getting defensive, but in simply just listening, 
listen. And they will say something because once again, my experience to that person will change the way they feel. Mm-hmm. My experience with them. If they think that I'm this biggest a-hole, bad person, and I show them something different and they continue to experience that, then they're going to feel different. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem comes in is that when at your core, you're not honest with yourself, then any attacks on that fortress of a person will yield more attacks. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to you're going to lash back out because you don't know who, when you know who you are as a person it's so much easier to listen to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would teach my kids to I can't talk anymore that you will never disregard information from somebody at the end of the day. You get to decide whether it's good information or bad information. Don't just disregard it right off the back because it's not coming from what you want the source to be. You know, if we look at the messages that have been learned from people throughout history, myself included, I couldn't have picked some of the people or some of the things that have happened to me that's been a plus. I couldn't have picked it. Mm -hmm. So don't close or as my mom would say, don't close your door to your blessings before you get them. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from you over the years has just been an observation, um, which is this idea of listening. And sometimes I will watch you listen to people who I feel like don't really deserve to have the space that they have um, to say the things that they're wanting to say, um, but you would you would still give them that opportunity. Um, and over the years, I've kind of watched a difference in seeing you listen to someone and this active listening where you're leaning in to get whatever feedback you need that you can use to improve. Eventually, as the conversation progresses, you get to the underpinnings of their hurt or their grievance or whatever the case may be. And it actually becomes something that's productive. It doesn't have to just be this character assassination on you because they're mad about X, Y, Z, and they just led with that. There was always something underneath it that that you used to improve, but then kind of drawing a parallel to watching how other people are listening. And I've noticed the difference is that they are not listening for what's underneath this or what can I glean from this to improve. It's I am listening to hear something I disagree with, or I'm listening for your error, or I'm listening for some logistical uh, mistake that you've made, and then now we can argue, now we can disagree, and it it's never productive. It always leaves the two people leaving the table feeling not heard, not productive. They're more upset than when they started the conversation, and nothing is ever used as an opportunity for growth. And so I think sometimes swallowing that ego and swallowing how it has attacked your identity or made you feel, at the end of the day, this is business is business, right? We're all getting towards a goal here. Um, So I think just realizing that there is some work to do with managers to kind of lay down the ego and pick up this idea that I'm wanting to improve. I'm wanting to grow. I don't want to keep having to have these types of conversations that are hard or tough or difficult for me. And sometimes that means that I just have to hear that 10% that's really underneath all of this. Right. And at the root of it is truly, I like to call it 
recognize the source of the pain. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I feel like I've been remote, pretty successful with a lot of managers that I've worked with and getting them to actually let that part sink in. Because when someone is actually willing to vent and talk about their feelings and how they feel about something, you cannot tell, and this is something, my wife is going to hear this and she's going to, uh, you know, she's going to laugh because I'm, <laughs> so many years I was so quick to tell her that. But you cannot tell a person how they feel. Yeah. You can't. You cannot tell them how they feel, but you can listen and understand. And even in the listening and understanding, you'll hear the things that they say and the things that they don't say. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, that's going to help you recognize the source of that pain. If you have any want or desire to help that person achieve or be better, which if they work for our company, that should be the number one. Right. We want them to achieve and be better. Then you need to be able to listen to them and you got to listen for their pain because the cure of that pain is where your loyalty is going to come from, where your devotion is going to come from, where that person is going to be willing to be adaptable to you. Where are they going to take care of your clients and provide the service that you want them to provide the way you would do it? That's where it lies. That's good. All right. Before we wrap up, what is the number one takeaway that listeners should understand about the on-the-fly management? Oh, my God. Here you go. Put me on the spot again. The number one. Wow. Number one, I think for each and every manager they need to establish their core values. My core values that I established for myself at work is some that I felt were great enough to put for the whole company. And I don't do a lot of arbitrary stuff, but that was one of the things that I did do that was arbitrary, kind of using my autonomy at, at the point, you know, to make that happen. And so for me, it was compliance, client, money, and the people. So whenever I was getting ready to make a decision, no matter what the decision was, work-related, I would say, if I do this, is this going to make us more compliant? Or are we not going to be in compliance as a result of this? If I do this, is the client going to be happy? Will this make a happier client or, or not happy? Right, right. If I do this, are we going to make money at it or are we going to lose money at it? And if I can answer yes to those three questions, now I have the responsibility of the fourth. Whatever caused this to be yes, being in compliance, the client is happy, we're making money, am I taking care of those people who made this possible? Because if I want it to continue to happen, obviously that's one of the things that needs to continue to happen. Right. So for me, that's what I would like for people to take out of it. Establish your core values. And make sure that the ones you establish will help your company prosper. That's good. Well, Brian, thank you for all of the anecdotes and all of your insight about all of this. It's been really interesting to learn from you. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that it's coming to an end. These conversations are great. I look forward to them. And, you know, maybe we have to start a new project or something. Yeah, a new series in the future. That would be fun. Thanks, everyone, for making it this far. Um, We hope to see you for our next series. Bye. Bye.